Welcome to the Israel Daily News Podcast. I'm your host, Shanna Folds, and I'm here to get you caught up quickly. I've got some top news stories for you today from Israel, and guess what? You're listening, so you're already on top of your game. Survive and thrive, people, knowledge is the best weapon. Today is Thursday, November 17th. 2022 in the Gregorian calendar and the 23rd of Cheshvan 5783 in the Hebrew calendar. At the end of this episode, I'll give you a special report from COP27, also known as the UN Climate Change Conference, which I reported on last week. Of course, with sound bites and my personal take on how the event went. I'm going to give you all the raw details that maybe I shouldn't say. This episode is sponsored by Hasod Store. I'll tell you more about Hasod later on in the show. Thank you for sponsoring us today for our weekend episode. Now, let's get to the news. The third victim of the stabbing-slash-car-ramming spree has been named. Moti Ashkenazi, 59 years old, from the central Israeli city of Yavne, was the third person to have died during the rampage carried out by an 18- or 19-year-old Palestinian man earlier in the week in the city of Ariel in the West Bank. The man had been working as a supplier for Amizra Gas, which is a gas distributor in Israel. Ashkenazi leaves behind a wife, three children, and two grandchildren. They say he was a loving person and an exemplary husband and family man. The municipality of Yavne is helping to support the family as they grieve. If you want more information on this horrific attack, you can refer back to Tuesday or Wednesday's podcast where I give all the details on what happened. Right before I went to record this show, I got a communication from the president's office saying he is going to make a first ever state visit to the kingdom of Bahrain after the king personally invited him. This is a first visit from a head of state on Bahraini soil. Despite officials have met before in other locations following the signing of the Abraham Accords agreement, which officiated the normalization of ties between Israel and the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Morocco and Sudan a couple of years ago. After Bahrain, Herzog, Isaac Herzog, our president, will be attending the UAE President Mohammed bin Zayed's Abu Dhabi space debate. So that's going to be the way that the president ends his trip. More than 10 law professors and educators from Israel's universities published a letter this week calling out the Knesset, or Israel's parliament, for trying to push forward a bill that would allow the Knesset to override high court justice rulings. The bill would limit the court's ability to intervene with parliament legislation, And professors are concerned about this, saying this bill would seriously damage the protection of human rights in Israel and will ripple through generations of Israeli society to come. 
Israel's newly sworn in government is the most right wing conservative government Israel has ever had. And they want that any 61 lawmakers could band together to create a majority and use that rule to override high court decisions, which many are saying could upend Israel's democratic system of checks and balances between parliament, the executive and judiciary branches. Many in Netanyahu's own party do not think that this is a good idea. Once instated, the legislation would be very difficult to walk back on. If passed, the Knesset, with a simple 61-seat majority, could ban demonstrations, impose movement restrictions, for example, and this would all be without judicial review. The Knesset now has 64 right-wing members of Knesset. Israel's high court is thought to be more progressive and left-wing, which is why people see each of these bodies as an important part of the justice system. After a sit-down between current Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and right-wing party Otsma Yehudit, which is headed by Itamar Ben-Gavir, a number of, quote, advancements have happened. Although it should be understood that all the measures will need to be brought before the Knesset and passed before they can actually be advancements, the bills Netanyahu agreed to push for retroactively legalizing a number of currently illegal West Bank settlements within 60 days from the government swearing in, which happened this week, changing a law which makes the Homish outpost and yeshiva in the West Bank legal, and a minimum sentence for agricultural crimes, plus expanding Route 60 to include a bypass road. This is a highway that runs through the West Bank north to south. The bypass road means creating a roadway so that cars can pass busy towns and skip the traffic. In this case, it likely means creating a road so that Jews can avoid driving through Palestinian cities and villages, which has proven to be very dangerous for Jews in recent decades. Ben Gvir has publicly expressed his desire to be the country's public security minister. And while Netanyahu called him a qualified candidate for the role, it's not yet clear if Ben Gvir will get it. Ben Gvir is a controversial figure in Israel. He's controversial for being a hardlined right winger and is even referred to as an extremist by some who disagree with his stances. In related news, two right-wing leaders who used to be a part of Otsma Yehudit's party but were disqualified for being racist are now teaming up to form a new political party. Israel's public broadcaster Khan reports Baruch Marzel and Michael Ben-Ari are creating a party and pulling together signatures for their submission, which they did while at a memorial event for the controversial Rabbi Meir Kahana, who is both hated and loved by the Israeli people, depending on who you ask. The High Court of Justice disqualified Ben-Ari from running in the 2019 election due to repeated incitement against Arabs. Marzell was banned from running due to what the court said was outright racist statements. As for the Ra'am Party, an Arab Islamist party in Israel's government, despite their leader in September said he would not work with Netanyahu, it seems he is changing his tone. Mansour Abbas, the party head, says this. We want to work with any government that is formed so we can complete the plans we started with. Abbas also said his party is willing to accept the other 
and work with a diverse range of factions. This statement from Abbas came out at a conference hosted by the Anti-Defamation League. The interviewer at the conference asked him how he responds to the Netanyahu party referring to his party as terror supporters throughout the last year, though the party has also condemned terror activities publicly. Abbas said, quote, we don't have to agree on everything. We as citizens of the state of Israel need to work with the elected Israeli government, end quote. Netanyahu, though he worked with the Ra'am party in the past, now has teamed up with a far right party whose leaders say they will not ever work with or ally with or seek support from the Islamist party. A known wanted Israeli criminal has been arrested in South Africa. The South African police said they arrested Yaniv Ben Simon, who is an Israeli gang leader. He's been on Interpol's list of people to get as he's wanted for conspiracy to commit murder, attempted murder, and having weapons and cash that he should not have. He's also organized other people in the criminal group known as Abergil Organization, which is considered to be a gang. Pictures of nearly a dozen men handcuffed or and laying on their stomachs have been coming up in Israeli media after special forces raided Ben Simon's home early this morning and found Ben Simon and seven other people with 12 firearms, five of which were assault rifles, $40,000 in cash, and three stolen motorcycles, and everyone was laid out on their bellies on the ground, handcuffed behind their backs. There's also a recording of Ben Simon discussing plans to murder a big Israeli drug trafficker named Zev Rosenstein. Ben Simon tried to murder the man in Tel Aviv back in 2003, but instead killed three innocent people nearby and hurt 18 others. Once the operation is complete, the authorities will hand this over from South Africa to Israel to finish out the investigation and proceed to take legal action. Hasod, or The Secret in English, is a company that brings little pieces of Israel to your doorstep wherever you might be. And this is the company that I said was sponsoring our show today. The company curates seasonal subscription boxes and gift boxes for every occasion. Each box is filled with locally sourced products like Israeli Judaica items, menorahs, mezuzahs for the doorpost, Israeli sweets, spices, dead sea mud, and handmade jewelry with classics like the Evil Eye and the Khamsa. Send gift boxes to yourself, organizations that you work with, or your employees, your donors, your customers, anyone else who would love something like this. Hasod services people who live inside Israel and also around the world, and shipping with them is seamless. Let me tell you from experience. I've recently started to send gift boxes to some of our supporters here at the Israel Daily News podcast, and I am loving, loving, loving the service and want to make it known to all of you. I'm going to be doing more work with them in the future. I am putting a link to the Hasod shop in the show notes so you can head over to their store and find a box that you love that you want to send to a friend. And I, for me, the best part is just being able to send a gift online and not have to worry about the shipping myself. Again, I'm going to put the link in the show notes or you can head over to hasodstore.com. That's H-A-S-O-D store.com. 
If you are getting caught up on your Israel Daily News, we'd like you to consider sending over a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash Israel Daily News. The financial support we get from subscribers helps us maintain our show and helps us continue to grow and try to reach new audiences. Subscribers will get a handwritten thank you note and a little poem that I write myself to let you know how thrilled we are to have your support. I want to give a big thank you to Steve A. Fisher in New York for sending us a contribution to support our work. We appreciate your listenership and, of course, sending financial support, which allows us to keep delivering the news. We are running this from the ground up without any official support, just trying to make this a business one day at a time. Thank you, Steve, for supporting us at the Israel Daily News podcast. And thank you, all of the listeners, for your interest in Israeli affairs, Israeli politics, our world politics. We have one link in the show notes, which you can click on, and that'll take you to the page where you, too, can make a contribution and feel good knowing that you're supporting independent journalism. So check that out at anchor.fm slash Israel Daily News. You can also support us by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Two, you can share the show with a friend. And three, you can follow us on Facebook at IsraelDaily.News, as well as Shanna Fold. My name has two N's in it, and I'm very sensitive about that. You can also find us on Twitter at Israel Podcast. I love treasure stories and archaeological stories, so here's one for you, but it's a bit dangerous and criminal, okay? Three robbers were caught digging and destroying archaeological findings in their race to find what they believe is an ancient treasure. The hidden loot, according to a legend in the south of Israel, is buried in a wall inside of a cave But the director of robbery prevention at the Israel Antiquities Authority says he wants the public to know this is a rumor that has no archaeological basis or a historical one. He says, unfortunately, while no treasure has been found at all, there has been irreparable damage that was done. This happened on Tuesday night and the three suspects who were all in their 20s were brought to the police station in a nearby Bedouin city where the men were interrogated all night. One of the men has faced jail time in the past and actually had to cough up about 30,000 shekels, so somewhere around $10,000 at the time for a similar crime back in 2020. The site where the men were digging is called the Horvat Ma'aravim, and it has remnants of the Roman, Byzantine, early Muslim, and Ottoman time periods. This spot is, however, under the supervision of the Antiquities Authority. And now for some highlights about the COP27 or the United Nations Climate Change Conference. First of all, before I get into the details, I'll tell you what I actually really thought. Like what I would write in my diary, okay? I just let my fingers hit the keyboard for this. So you can get my brutally honest impression and understanding of what actually went down at COP27. It was a big, awesome, little mini world where almost every country had a presence, that was very cool. It was super overwhelming. The grounds in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, which is on the Sinai Peninsula in Egypt, were enormous, but not even the volunteers knew how to get from one place to another. There were maps, but it was very confusing for everyone, and there was even a story that I had to reschedule because it took so long for me to figure out where I needed to be, how to get there. There was a bus that was supposed to take us there, but then it didn't function after 5 p.m. 
I have to say I am so glad that I arrived to the conference one day early because I was able to easily register and start to figure out how to take the free bus and where to go and where to find everything. I also quickly realized there was plenty of coffee but almost no food at this conference. It was really hard to get anything to eat. People were even smuggling food in, and I heard Israelis speaking in Hebrew about how they didn't have anything to eat, and someone was making an order, and it was it was a thing, okay? Getting food was a thing, and if you wanted to wait in line for an hour and get a biscuit or uh, a cold sandwich, that was one of your options. At the end of the week, at the end of the week, I finally found a restaurant that served hot food where I saw all the Egyptian workers and volunteers eating, but it was really in the back corner. It took me it took me days before I saw this restaurant. So that was a big issue. I wrote five stories in five days for the Jerusalem Post newspaper, and that was a lot. I've been a trusted freelancer for the Jerusalem Post for more than four years now. Each day of the conference, I woke up and it was go time. And I also managed to push out a podcast or two from the hotel room. One day, I pushed out the show only to find out that in the time I was producing it, I had missed the president of Israel when he came to the Israeli pavilion at the event. And I did not know that because I am the freest freelancer that you've ever met. And I did not come to the COP27 with the rest of the Israeli delegation, which was brought there only to follow around the president. So I was happy that I wasn't part of the delegation. But because I wasn't a part of the delegation, I missed out on a couple of memos. I came completely on my own, build the Jerusalem Post for the stories that I wrote, and at this time I had been asking the press team to give me details about Herzog, but the communication was only communicated to the journalist that followed him there in his transportation by plane. Sorry, not sorry. I was able to do many more stories because I was on my own and not just covering the president. But not to worry, I was so insistent on catching him that I literally pushed my way through security to get into the room where President Herzog was set to deliver an address in English at 5 p.m. along with all the rest of the dignitaries and heads of state from around the globe. Now, he did not deliver that address until close to 8 p.m., I was there for three hours, pretty nervous to leave the room because I don't think I was supposed to be there. And I think if I was in there, I was supposed to be under some kind of supervision, but I was unsupervised. So I would not budge once I got in, literally ran to the bathroom in stealth mode because I did not want to be recognized. As the event went on, I got to hear from presidents from all over the world. France's Emmanuel Macron spoke very long. The United Kingdom just got a new prime minister, and he was very well-spoken and charismatic. He delivered a good, tight speech. My favorite speaker was the head of state from Seychelles, which is a tiny island off the coast of Africa. He explained that while his country does not make a carbon footprint, it is the most likely to be affected by the rest of the world using and abusing the earth because they're a little island, rising sea levels. He's worried that his island is literally going to get flooded off the map. 
Now, his speech may have been the most compelling one I heard, and he was also quite artful with his language, so I really appreciated that. Of course, outside of listening to all the world's dignitaries, I spent some time at the first ever Israeli pavilion and listened in on the pitching. There were two hours of pitching from 10 selected Israeli high-tech startup companies that are trying to change the world for the better. Some companies and organizations that I did not write about in the Jerusalem Post, I will mention here, this includes the Israel Export Institute, the Association of Manufacturers, and the Foreign Trade Administration at the Ministry of Economy, which had a presence at the conference for the first time. The institutions worked together to lead a business event at the climate conference. The chairman of the Israel Export Institute says the big challenge is implementing the technologies and reducing the gap in the level of preparedness of countries. Cooperation between all sectors, government, industry, academia, and the third sector will initiate significant moves that will lead to necessary investments. Companies like Green Swan Lab impressed me. It's the world's peer review platform where the company does performance reports to help all the other companies review their efforts in terms of environmental, social, and governance investing performance, otherwise known as ESG performance. Gencell also pulled me to the side while I was at the pavilion to talk to me about their product. This company develops green energy solutions using hydrogen and ammonia. The idea is to move people away from harmful fuels and replace them with their product. That's amazing. I'll read some of my final article that I wrote for the Jerusalem Post, which I put my heart and soul into. The benefit here is that in the podcast, of course, I can give you the sound bites so you can hear the people that I interviewed speak for themselves instead of me cutting up just a little bit of what they said and writing it out. You'll be able to hear their voices. The United Nations Climate Change Conference, better known as COP27, is an entire world within one city. People of every shape, size, and color attend the event, taking buses to planes, to taxis, to shuttles, to get into the 40,000-person affair. 140 of those participants were world leaders, many of whom made themselves quite accessible to the delegations that showed up at the event in Sharm el-Sheikh. African women laughed and laughed on the free shuttle buses. Israelis complained in Hebrew about the quality of the cafe sandwiches. The Americans swarmed around John Kerry everywhere he went. Moroccans brought their own tea. And Egypt seemed to have sought out the best English-speaking young women from around the Republic and put them in the registration counter desks to help. They welcomed new arrivals in the world's most universal language and... Those who could not connect with their tongue used the world's most universal language, a smile. Walking through the numerous rooms of pavilions was a cultural journey, with each booth showing the country's name in big, bold, bright print. Booths had videos playing on repeat, talks and panels, coffee machines, and loads of government officials. Over at the Israeli pavilion, however, there were equal numbers of green tech workers from the private sector as there were government representatives, and there was plenty of time for pitching and pushing products that everyone at the pavilion agreed would soon change the world. Keep in mind, this was the first Israeli pavilion ever at a COP event. 
Outgoing Environmental Protection Minister Tamara Zandberg spent some time around the Israeli pavilion listening to pitches, presentations, taking questions from the press. She says the conference has taken a complete turn away from focusing on diplomacy and governments and instead has become more focused on business and economy. First of all, I think it's not only Israeli. I think coming from COP26 last year to COP27 this year, you could see that this conference says it's not about governments anymore. It's also about the business and the economy. The money speaks, the investments, the investment firms, the banks are all looking to clean their portfolios, looking for green investments. And this is a huge opportunity. And I think that Israel, that is the startup nation, um, it's no wonder that our pavilion, by the way, the first pavilion ever of Israel in the, in the uh, conferences, um, is oriented to, uh, to uh, uh, technology and innovation. And uh, as a matter of fact, I'm right now waiting to tour our uh, uh, startups um, that have amazing opportunities. And this is exactly the place where governments and the private sector can combine to fight the greatest challenge of our generation. One enormous highlight for Israel at COP27 was teaming up with its neighbors in an effort to trade resources and work together to stop climate change in the region. A number of memorandums were signed and deals decided all within the first three days of COP27 and more were expected to roll out throughout the event, which ends tomorrow on November 18th. Cyprus called in a number of countries to sign on to a declaration the country is calling the Eastern Mediterranean and Middle East Climate Change Initiative, also called EMMECC, during the conference. They had 10 government representatives show up for the signing. The leaders of Egypt, Cyprus, Iraq, Jordan, the Palestinian Authority, Greece, Lebanon, and Oman all signed on, along with Zandberg and a minister from Bahrain. Israeli NGO startup Nation Central also drew up a deal. Theirs is called the Middle East-North Africa Alliance for Climate Innovation. It's set to be finalized within a slew of nations by the end of the conference. Private Israeli company H2Pro also officially inked a memorandum of understanding with Moroccan company Gaia Energy. Under the agreement, Gaia will use a range of H2Pro's technology at their renewable energy sites in Morocco in order to produce green energy and use their green energy. I actually was in the room for that signing and reported on it. Now, I pushed my way into another small room after the signing of H2Pro's deal at the Israeli Pavilion, and no one stopped me from getting right in front of Regional Cooperation Minister Isawi Fredge, who was a little excited when I asked him about the deals coming out of the conference. Listen to this unedited exchange. He gets pretty feisty, and because I was in the room the night before listening to all of the presidents, like I mentioned earlier, I happened to know exactly what he was referencing during our talk. So when you hear his recording, I want you to keep in mind that he, right before I started rolling, told me that he was frustrated that Jordan's head of state had touted a trilateral green deal that he made with the United Arab Emirates and Israel, but did not make any mention of Israel at all during his address at the assembly. President Isaac Herzog, however, was outwardly, proudly talking about the energy water deal that he struck up with Jordan. If you're a bit confused, let me explain. 
Israel does a lot of business with Arab nations, but Arab nations do not want the world to know that they are doing business with Israel because they don't want to admit that they're working with Jews, and many times they are frustrated with how Palestinians are managing and how they are treated in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. And so, while some countries won't work with Israel at all out of principle because they're unsatisfied with how their brothers and sisters in Palestinian territories are being treated, some countries will work with Israel, but just try to keep it private. For example, they won't say it at an international conference. That's the real deal, folks. That's what happened with Jordan's king. Behind closed doors, he was excited to do this water energy exchange with Israel. But in front of the international stage, he just did not say the word Israel and left it out. This is me explaining it in everyday simple terms. Of course, there's a lot of context here, but that's the easy way to understand it. Take a listen to what Isawi Frej, the regional cooperation minister, had to say when I asked him about all the deals that were be- being signed. I like to work with people who smile to me, who, who want to work with me. Not the people or the countries, just... Uh, uh, please, I will say to him, please, uh, smile to me, please, meet me. No way. If you want to deal with me, de- do it clearly, do it frankly, do it uh, public. This is it's very important. Maybe we will uh, disagree in a lot of issues. Okay. Let also the public know that these issues, we are disagree about it. Don't be ashamed. I want to be with you like a mistress. No, don't, don't let anyone to, to know what our relationship is. It. I'll have with you a relation, win-win situation, economic things, but not for the public. The Moroccanian, it's a difference. It's a big difference there. They want us. They speak with us uh, clearly on the table, not under the table. That's why I put my uh, priority, my focus, how to promote, how to promote uh, our activity and our relationship with Americania. Some standout organizations that I got to know and meet include H2 Pro, Remilk, which turns yeast into an alternate dairy product, UBQ, which makes plastic out of household garbage, and Tomorrow.io. One success to come out of the conference includes an announcement from Tomorrow.io, which agreed to sign on as JetBlue's end-to-end weather forecasting technology across all its global operations. JetBlue will use Tomorrow.io's technology for 1,000 flights per day across 100 global destinations. So that is pretty exciting. When asked if this event is just a show or if it actually results in meaningful change, Former Israeli ambassador to Romania, David Saranga, who now leads the foreign ministry's digital diplomacy division, said this, and he was very good. First, it's important for the world to see this big show because 140 leaders who are coming to one place in certain days, it shows that the topic is an important topic. First. Second, the fact that there are around 40,000 people here dealing with climate change and how to fight this challenge, it's an important message to the countries. You know, 
I've been seeing our social media platforms every time that we are posting something about climate. It's not that interesting to most people, but this is how you start a revolution. Someone has to start, and I think that what's happening here, it's a good start. It's an important start. We still have a long way to do. Still there are many challenges, but we have to start. And I think that, the, that COP27 is, or I'll put it differently, I think that after COP27 we are in much better place than in COP26. And I'm sure that in COP28 we'll be even in a better place. I'll give you an example from Israel. For us, this is the first time that Israel is having a pavilion. We could have a pavilion last year, we could have a pavilion three years ago, but we didn't. And the fact that the Israeli government decided to invest money and the, for, the Israeli foreign ministry decided to invest money in the pavilion shows how important we perceive it. But this revolution has to start somehow. And I think that's what's happening here. And on top of it, the, the challenges that humanity is facing, I think it's important what's happening here. Tomorrow, so that's Friday, November 18th, is the last official day of COP27. Congratulations to Israel for having a few individuals who wanted the country to have an official presence at the event a couple years back and actually took their idea all the way through, brought people with them to believe in the idea and created a full-blown pavilion. Kol HaKavod, all the respect, goes to you. All right. Well, that is it for today's show. Today is Thursday, November 17th, 2022. Tel Aviv has a low of 16 degrees Celsius and a high of 24 degrees. That's 60 degrees Fahrenheit for the low, going up to 73 degrees for the high. Subscribe to the Israel Daily News podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're hearing it from. We are everywhere. Don't forget to sign up to our Israel Weekly News Wrap. It's a newsletter with the top five stories coming out of Israel from throughout the week. I also usually add in a few personal anecdotes so you can get the inside scoop on what's going on in my personal life. And I always mention our professional highlights from the Israel Daily News podcast. Let's hear Hof Ahava by Ya'ara Sholian. She's one of my favorite underground artists here in Israel. Enjoy this song and have a great and productive day and an excellent weekend. Shabbat shalom, everyone.